Today is where we celebrate those three more days that Jesus Christ did not remain on the cross. He was buried and he rose from the grave, triumphant over death and over hell. But Christianity doesn't begin at Easter. It doesn't begin at Good Friday. It doesn't even begin on Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. The message of God, the message of the Bible, begins in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He created the stars. He created the universe. He created everything that we see. He created you and I. And it was a good, good world. But his people, the first people, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against him. They went their own way. And they cursed the rest of us, the rest of humanity. And so in Old Testament times, in ancient times, the way to approach God, there needed to be a payment for this rebellion. There needed to be a sacrifice for this sin that has separated us from God. At the time in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, it was through animal sacrifice. It was through these priests, these religious leaders, they would bring these, these animals into a temple and would sacrifice them by fire so that sins would be paid for temporarily. And year after year, generation after generation, as humanity grew, as people's population increased, these, these temples, these sacrifices continued to be made to atone, to make a payment for our sin. But it was never fully effective. There's only so many goats, there's only so many bulls, there's only so many sheep that you can use to sacrifice in the temple to pay for our sins. There's never going to be a knife. It was an imperfect system. And so there's people, these prophets, who spoke on behalf of God. And they were telling of someone who would come and be the perfect sacrifice. He would come, he would be king. He would be the perfect priest. He would be the perfect sacrifice. He would be the perfect king. He would be the ultimate payment for our rebellion, our treason against God, against a holy and good and perfect God. And as the prophets predicted this person, this person did come. And on Christmas Day, this is what we celebrate. We don't know when Jesus was born, but Christmas Day is when we celebrate his birth. Good Friday, we celebrate his death. As this child king went from the cradle to the cross three days ago, is what we celebrate as Good Friday, where Jesus was killed for our sins. Does anyone know what February 19th represents? That's my birthday. You can just write that on your calendar. Just had to get that in there. Easter Sunday, today, the tomb. The tomb in which the baby king went from the cradle to the cross to the tomb. On the cross where he was crucified, where he was murdered for nothing, for no good reason. He was innocent. It was an unjust punishment. 
He was placed inside of a tomb. Some say it was a carved out giant rock. So it was like a cave. And his body was put in. And a stone was rolled in front of this tomb. And where they put the 30 year old, mid 30, Jesus Christ inside of the tomb. They put the stone. Some say two to 4,000 pounds of stone weight. So it wasn't just a little rock. It wasn't just a little gate. And then they put guards around the tomb. Roman guards whose job is to kill and to protect so that nobody would steal the body. So no one would tamper with the tomb. This is where Jesus laid inside of this rock. And I think for many of us, many Christians, we take this moment for granted. How many of us think about the resurrection at all? Even though the resurrection, this empty tomb, is the central teaching of Christianity. Christianity hinges on this moment 2,000 years ago. If the tomb contains his body, we're wasting our time. There's no reason for us to be here. The Bible is meaningless. What we sing is silly. But if the tomb is empty, this has significant implications for all of us. And may we not take this moment for granted. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central teaching of our faith. And without it, we have nothing. We are dead in our sin. There's no eternity with God. And we are hopeless. Read with me in Mark, a book called Mark. It's in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. We're in Mark chapter 16. And we're in the first eight verses of Mark 16. It says this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. So it was this ritual, what they did with the dead back then. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now, go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Now this is just a snapshot of that first encounter of people at the empty tomb. Where is the body? What is happening? Who moved the rock? What happened to the guards? Where is Jesus? And yet as we read this story, whether you've been a Christian a long time, whether this is your first time or just you're thinking about this moment, 
the question must be asked, did the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happen? Did it really happen? There's a few theories out there that say it didn't happen. I want to propose five theories out there very quickly. Okay, first we need to establish Jesus Christ is a real historical figure. No credible historian would deny that. There are Christians who attest to it. There are non-Christians who attest to it. There were Roman historians who attest to the fact that there was a real person named Jesus. And people attest, historians attest, that Jesus Christ, in fact, died. We established that. He goes inside of a tomb after he's crucified. Three days later, the body's gone. What happened to the body? Did he rise from the dead? Here's the first theory. The followers of Jesus stole the body. So these these men and women, whenever they went in there, imagine this, somehow Jackie Chan their way through the guards by destroying all the Roman soldiers, and then they move a 2,000 to 4,000 pound rock without other Romans coming to kill them, and they take the body. They stole him. Jesus actually did die, but his followers were so delusional that they think, we just got to steal the body, and then we'll tell people, oh, look, he, he rose from the dead. Where's the rock? Where's the guards? That's the first theory. That's ridiculous, by the way. It takes more faith to believe that than to think he actually rose from the dead. But there's more. Okay, let's just say this, they didn't steal the body. What's another theory? Well, Jesus actually didn't die. So as he hung on this cross, not this one exactly, as he hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, with his hands, his wrists nailed to this beam, his ankles nailed to the tree, dehydrated, whipped prior, a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. He was beaten. And he was left there. And they pierce a hole in his side with a spear. Now this, this type of execution, crucifixion, this is what Romans did. Their job was to kill. They're very precise. They're surgical, professional killers. And to say he didn't, he didn't actually die. He actually had so much strength. He was so superhuman that he didn't die. And as people looked at this, they thought he died, but he actually didn't. This is called the swoon theory. S-W-O-O-N. This theory that he didn't die. Okay. If you can get by the many, many problems with that argument, maybe. Or maybe the Marys went to the wrong tomb. This is the third theory. In this very famous death of a very prominent person who is infamous during the time, who is put in a tomb, maybe the Marys actually showed up to the wrong tomb. Instead of going to White Horse, they show up to Yellowknife. And they think, oh, he's not here. I've had that happen, by the way. We had friends who were supposed to go to Yellowknife and ended up in White Horse. I can see the confusion. There's a color in the name and then an object. Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. 
They didn't know where they were going. They don't have Google Maps. And they just went to the wrong tomb. That's the third theory. Fourth one. Jesus had a twin brother. That's what they say. Jesus actually didn't die. He had a twin brother. Let's call him Carl. Carl instead was put up there. Now, the people at Jesus' crucifixion, one prominent person, Jesus, his mother, was there. Didn't recognize Jesus as actually Carl. His followers were there. Didn't recognize Jesus. It was actually Carl. Jesus had a twin brother. They put, they convince him to go up there or they just kidnap him and put him up and Jesus runs. He runs to Spain or something. It's actually his twin brother who died. It still doesn't explain the empty tomb. The tomb is still empty. Where's Carl? Fifth. There's many, there's many objections out there and they're all, I have to say, ridiculous. Even if this is the first time you're hearing it, you think that's a bit of a stretch. Fifth one, hallucinations. This is a good one. So Jesus, he, he escapes the tomb, he leaves the tomb, and he appears to hundreds of people. 500 plus people. And 500 plus people see Jesus Christ. Or did they? Some scholars say these 500 people were having the same hallucination, the exact same hallucination. I don't know how that happened. How do you have the same hallucination? How do you all see the same thing? Hallucinations are not contagious. If somebody's hallucinating, it doesn't just go into your brain and then you start hallucinating, you start seeing the same thing. That doesn't make any sense unless you actually all saw the same thing. It takes way more faith to believe that 500 people of different ages and intellectual capacity are having this hallucination. Why are they hallucinating on? They all just happen to do drugs at the exact same moment. And during this event, they just all imagined they saw Jesus Christ. Those are the objections. Or, Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. That what he said was going to happen... Jesus Christ told his followers, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put in this tomb. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he does. That's amazing. By faith, you believe what this man says. One pastor says, if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, listen, all these things are going to happen to me. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. You should probably listen to that guy. We should probably listen to Jesus. The only reasonable conclusion for the empty tomb is that Jesus Christ is alive and that he did rise from the dead. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses. You read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 3 to 8. Uh, for what I received, this is the Apostle Paul writing, a follower of Jesus named Paul. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised in the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then also to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. They're witnesses, unless they're all hallucinating, which is crazy to think that. Jared Wilson, he's a speaker and an author, he says, if the resurrection isn't true, we should all go home. Religion makes a lame hobby. Why would we, why would we come here? If Jesus isn't alive, what are, we, what are we doing? We're just bored and we need something to do? Let's say, hey, okay, listen, I know Jesus isn't dead. That's fine. How about on Sundays, we get together, we make up a bunch of songs that he is, in fact, alive, and, and, and we read from this book, and we'll just do that. Religion makes a, a lame hobby. Jared Wilson is right. But worse than that, Christianity is a false religion if Jesus Christ is not alive. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central teaching of Christianity. It's just not another teaching of Christianity. It's not some byproduct of Christianity. It is the central message of Christianity that Jesus Christ is alive. He's not dead. It wasn't Carl. He's alive. He's risen. And if the resurrection is true, if the resurrection is true, there are many implications of this fact. I want to highlight three of them. If the resurrection is true, the results of the resurrection prove that Jesus Christ is God, the first thing. Jesus Christ is God. He planned this in the beginning. He knew this was going to happen. This was the will of the Father. And only God had the power to raise people from the dead. Read with me in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. How did he know this? How did he know this plan? Unless he is the one who planned it. And who has the power to raise people from the dead. We can't do that. When we die, what are we going to do? We can't call our insurance. We can't drink enough Red Bull. You're dead. But he rose himself up from the grave by the power of the Father of Father God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He conquered the grave. Jesus is God. A pastor in New York City named Timothy Keller, he, wrote, he said this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose 
from the dead. If he rose from the dead, everything he says is true. Everything he says about you and I, everything he says about life is true. And now we align everything that we do, everything that we are on the basis of what Jesus has taught because he is God. Because what he taught is true. And he is the one we follow. Not internet gurus, not social media influencers, not politicians, not government officials, not celebrities, not anybody. We follow Jesus Christ alone because he is God. And secondly, if the resurrection is true, this proves to us that the Bible is true. That the Bible is true. In a book called 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It is an incredible, amazing thing that we have the Bible, that we can read it every day, that we can know the heart and the mind of God, how we're to show love to him, how we're to show love to our neighbors, how we're to think about marriage, how we're to think about singleness, how we're to think about our parents, how we're to think about our enemies. This book is all that we need. This book teaches us who we are and who God is. We must read this book. Do you read this book? Do you think about this book? Do you pray about it? Do you study it with others? We must be in this book to know our God and to love others as he loved others. If the resurrection is true, Jesus is God. The Bible is true. And thirdly, we must give our lives to the only true and living God. We must give our lives to the only true and living God. This God, the God of the Bible, not any other God out there, not any other religion. This God, the God of Israel, the God of the resurrection, Jesus Christ. We must give our lives to the only true and living God. Galatians 2.20 says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We, our old selves, are dead by placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone, in his words and what he's done and in his actions our old self dies. The old Harrison died. Prior to 2009, I hated Jesus. I hated Christianity. But by the grace of God, he, he shared about the gospel with me. He used my friend to speak the gospel to me, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he would pay for my sins and three days later, he would rise from the dead. And when I believed that, it changed everything. 
when I found pleasure in getting drunk and chasing women and chasing money and chasing fame and vandalizing things, breaking into things, burning things. I found pleasure in these things. But in 2009, God transformed my heart and my mind to love His Word, to love His Son by the power of the Spirit and to follow after God. Because if He rose from the dead, I must follow after Him. I must live for Him alone. He is worthy of everything that I have. And then the Christian life then becomes, it becomes a way of giving thanks to what has been accomplished on our behalf. We are generous with others because Christ has been generous with us. We forgive our enemies because He forgave me who was His enemy, hostile to Him, deserving of His judgment. We are gracious towards those who speak ill of us because as He was crucified on that Good Friday, purely innocent, people spitting on Him, throwing rocks at Him, mocking Him, we would have been there doing the same thing. He says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And now when I work, I don't work to please anybody, but I work to please God who's already accepted me because of Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice was accepted. In the Old Testament, when we had the temple, and they needed this lamb, they needed a perfect lamb. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God. And now that the tomb is empty and he's come out, it shows that the sacrifice was accepted in full and that we are forgiven of our sins in full. The debt that we owe was paid by Jesus Christ. And it is finished. It is finished. The ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ provides the ultimate hope for us. The ultimate sacrifice provides the ultimate hope. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you are a Christian, this is what has happened to you. If you are not a Christian, and this is your first time hearing this, and you want to accept this message, if you're listening online or you're here gathering, this is what it means to accept Christ and his sacrifice and his resurrection. Romans 10, chapter 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're declaring that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He is God. And when it speaks about the heart, it means that you change everything. That everything about you is changed through the power of the Holy Spirit through God. That if you believe with all that you are, that He is in fact risen from the dead, that He is in fact God, and that He in fact paid for my sins. You will be saved. You will be saved. And I can call you brother. I can call you sister. Because we will share the same Heavenly Father. And the adoption price came at the price of God's own Son. The cost of His own blood. For something He never did. For a price we could never pay. 
he did that for us, and that is grace. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. Because it's free. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. But he gives it freely. I'll close with this quote before we um, get to communion together where we celebrate the death of Jesus and his return. By a man named Josh McDowell. He says this. No matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they're only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. I don't know what you're going through in your mind, in your life, with your health, the health of loved ones, in your marriage, in your singleness, whatever it may be. Jesus Christ promises you a measurable good and that what you're facing is temporary and yet he is with you through it all, through your pain, through your suffering, through your trials. He is there. He is alive. We do not serve a dead Jesus. We do not serve a dead God. He is alive and he is here. We call to him. We understand him through this word. And we do it in community. And one of the ways we do this, one of the ways we celebrate what he's done for us is through something we call communion. In communion, if you're unfamiliar with it, you can turn with me or listen to the words uh, found in Luke chapter 22. Verses 19 to 20. And he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to pass around um, these elements. The bread and the, um, the juice inside. The bread representing his body of his sacrifice. The blood representing the shed blood on the cross. If you are a believer... I invite you to take this with us. We do this as a family to celebrate what he's done. If you're not a believer, I ask you just to not take communion with us and just consider what was said, consider his resurrection, consider his power, and place your faith in him. Believe in him. I'd love to hear about your thoughts about that. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus. Please talk to me. and Maybe next time we can take it as a brother or sister in Christ. I'm just going to take a minute, I'm going to pass these out, and then I'll I'll instruct us. And and Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you so much for rising from the dead. And God, it can be confusing, but God, would you teach us what it means to follow you? To recognize this power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead and that you are alive. Lord, be with us in our mess, in our darkness, in our sadness. Give us joy, the joy of everlasting life and the joy of true forgiveness. To the glory of Jesus Christ and to the joy of your saints, we pray. Amen.